I have studied this week, and uh, matter of fact, I started about Tuesday afternoon looking into this particular section of chapter 14 of the book of Acts, and uh, I knew where I wanted to go, knew where the Lord wanted us to go. Uh, we're looking at a church on fire, and in this particular section of Acts, we're looking at a church under pressure. And uh, we introduced that last week in the first seven verses. And that was strictly unscripted, uh, no outline, anything. I, the Lord, I had studied the first seven verses, didn't really have a, an outline to preach from, but the Lord began to show me some things even while we were preaching last week. But Tuesday I had an idea of where I wanted to go with it, and uh, but I couldn't get points for an outline. I was trying so hard to make this thing, and I even went and looked up other people and uh, other preachers and other sermons and they didn't want to deal with it either so I thought you cowards and, and uh, I, but the Lord spoke to my heart believe it or not last night the Lord gave me some fresh thoughts on this chapter last night so I don't know how far we'll get with it I do have the first point developed in my heart and my mind I know that's at least what I want to get to today but we're going to read the remaining verses of chapter 14, verses 8 through 28. If you're willing and able, stand with me as we give honor and reverence to the reading of God's holy word. And uh, I'm going to try to read as quick as I can and let you be seated. I know it's quite a few verses, but we've stood for longer. Amen. Uh, verse number 8, the Bible says, and there, sat a certain, there, and there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who never had walked. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand up, or stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and walked. And when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of Lysadionia, The gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. They called Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mercurius, because he was the chief speaker. Then the priests of Jupiter, which was before their city, brought oxen and garlands under the gates, and would have done sacrifice with the people, which when the apostles Barnabas and Paul uh, heard of, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people, crying out and saying, Sirs, why do you these things? We also are men of like passions with you, and preach unto you that ye should turn from these vanities unto the living God. I like that. Which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein. I'm glad for the day I turned from vanities to the living God. Amen. Hallelujah who in time past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness, in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, scarce restrained they the people that they had not done sacrifice unto them. And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium, who persuaded the people, and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about, he rose up and came into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. 
And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned unto Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. And after they passed, or after they had passed through uh, out uh, Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. And when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to into Italia, and then sailed to Antioch, from whence they had be, uh, from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. And there they abode long time with the disciples. You may be seated uh, this morning. We began looking last Sunday at a church under pressure. And that's what we see in this text, a church that is being pressured in their day, these people of God that are being pressured in their uh, day. And there's different types of pressure that we come in contact with, different types of pressure that they come in contact with, but pressure nonetheless. And from verses 1 through 7, we find that introduction to this chapter. Paul and Barnabas are continuing on a missionary journey that they had started a chapter ago. This is the first missionary journey. If you're looking on a map in your Bible, it probably will highlight this uh, missionary journey for you. And you can trace your finger along the map of these cities, both to, uh, both to Lystra and Derby, and uh, back from there to Antioch where they had begun. And this chapter, as it uh, begins, it begins to tell us about this journey to Iconium, as we looked at last week. But as the chapter will end, it'll conclude a pivotal part of a transitional time in the church. Uh, with this missionary journey, the people of God are beginning uh, what is said at the end of what we call the Great Commission, and that is that the gospel is to go not only to the Jew, but also to the Gentile. You remember Jesus had said that we're to begin with Jerusalem and then go to Judea and then Samaria and then the uttermost part of the world. And that's what we find in this particular journey of these men of God. They are taking the gospel out to the Gentile world. We've seen how the gospel is to the Jew first. That's what Romans 1 and 16 tells us. I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and then also to the Greek. And so we see that taking place here in chapter 14. They are taking the gospel, just not just hoarding it up in one particular area, in an area of comfort or uh, contentment, but they are spreading out. They are branching out to the uttermost part of the world. Now, as they've done this, as we've seen, it's not been without difficulty. And serving God is certainly not without hardship. They have faced hardship all along the way. But what they have found is, is that through the hardship, as they have stayed faithful to God, they have found that God has stayed faithful to them. 
And by his faithfulness and by their faith and confidence in him and through their perseverance and, and their continuing on and their dedication to God, God has made them fruitful time and time again through their suffering and their service. From the first seven verses, we began to look at uh, these men of God and the church as they're facing pressure in their ministry. This persecution that comes upon them uh, there in Iconium. Uh, this persecution that was not unfamiliar to them, uh, but rather being a, a persecution of religious uh, uh, sorts, it becomes a persecution of society. And the people were being swayed by even the Jews, that religious group, to turn their backs on Paul and to even threaten their life. And from there, the Bible said, they leave Iconium and they go to Lystra. And what do they do when they get to Lystra? What do they do after being threatened to be killed for Christ's sake? What do they do after stones had been hurled at them and they had possibly been beaten and all of these things that whole time they were at Iconium? What do they do after that's over and they go to another place? Brother Caleb, the Bible said that they go to Lystra and there we find Paul opening his mouth and preaching the word of God. Man, what a blessing we seen last week in the first seven verses uh, uh, that when the gospel is preached, a decision will be made uh, and then difficulties will be manifested. But there will be dedicated men that will continue to stand for God even in days of pressure. Let's be honest this morning. Every one of us can feel the pressure of our society today. There's political pressure. There's economical pressure. There's uh, religious and spiritual pressure. You have peer pressure. You've got family pressure. There's all these kinds of obstacles and uh, uh, these uh, uh, things that oppress the child of God in these days. And by the way, let me say this this morning. It's not going to get any better. If you're waiting around, looking around for it to change or get better, friend, it's not going to. The Bible says that it's going to wax worse and worse. To be a Christian, friend, listen, to be called a Christian uh, may be a popular thing in our world, but it's not a popular thing to be a Christian. Amen. There are a lot of folks that run around, run around waving the banner of Christian, but they're not really Christian. And folks will say, man, I tell you what, I, I, you know, I, I like that kind of laid back, like, lackadaisical attitude and, and uh, you know, a, a faith or a religion that don't cost me anything. I don't have to invest nothing in it. Man, that's a popular thing nowadays. Uh, but if you're going to be what the Bible calls a true Christian, that's not going to be very popular. And it's not going to get any better. I'm telling you, friend, we're, we're seeing a great falling away in our day today. And that pressure for us to try to change or to compromise or to be something else that we're not. And we see that in chapter number 14 uh, uh, with the ministry of Paul and with the ministry of Barnabas. And we see that even in our life today. But can I give you some good news this morning? Can I give you some encouragement today? You don't have to bend under the pressure. You don't have to break under the pressure. Amen. Somebody needs to hear this. You don't have to explode. Amen. Under the pressure. You know those contents are under pressure. They got warning labels on them. And I feel like Christians ought to come with warning labels. Especially Baptist folk ought to come with warning labels from time to time. Amen. Don't get too close to the fire. Hello. 
There are a lot of people, friend, they bust. They, I'm telling you, they explode uh, under intense pressure when they're put through the fire. It also says in those cans, do not puncture these cans. There are people, listen, they can't take a jab. They can't take a, a little persecution. Can't take a little pain. Uh, friend, listen, this life has not been promised us to be without pain. We're going to have some pressure. But, friend, you don't have to bend under pressure. You don't have to break under pressure. Let me stick with my outline there. You don't have to blow up under pressure. Amen. You don't have to. You can stand tall. You can stand faithful. You can stand true. I like what verse 7 says. It says that after all of that was done, they preached. Somebody say amen. They stood faithful and they preached the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse number 8 through 20. Man. I'm enjoying this and I'm only in the introduction. Verse 8 through 20 tells us of the events that happened at Lystra after their run out of Iconium. As a result of the ministry of Paul and Barnabas, we find what takes place here in this little area of Lystra, some 18 miles from Iconium. This uh, completely pagan society, they're going to face another challenge. And just as before, God will give them supernatural strength to stand and be what God has called them to be and to rise under the pressure and make a difference in people's lives. And listen to me, that's exactly what God is intending for us as the people of God to do in the day that we're living in. Not conform, not compromise, not, you know, bend to the will and the whims of, uh, of the pressures of our day, but He wants us to stand and to be different and to make a difference in somebody else's life. And as we look at this today, I, I want us to realize the pressures of our day and remember that the same God that gave them strength back then is the same God that will give us strength today he has called us to do something for him spread the gospel witness for him work for him worship him he has called us to do that but in and of ourselves, we don't have the strength to do it and we would break and blow up under the pressure but I'm glad we're not doing this thing by ourselves. he is with us as Paul said in 2 Timothy 4, he stood with me and strengthened me that by me the preaching of the gospel might be made known unto the Gentiles. He has called us to do something and he intends for us to be faithful. And so as we consider this today and possibly even next week, the rate I'm going this morning, I want us to notice this church under pressure and as we do that I want to consider first the miracle and its message. The miracle and its message. You know what I find that's uh, uh, interesting, and and uh, we ought to know this, and this ought to be a good shout and amen point. That the people of God seem to be under immense pressure, but God don't seem to be bothered by it. <laughs> I don't find in the text here where Luke reveals to us that God is panicked about any of this. <laughs> He just does what he always does. And we find right in the midst of this pressure the people of God are under that God works a miracle in the midst of it. Let me show you what I mean. Verse number 8, the Bible said that there was a man that was at Lystra. He was impotent in his feet. He was a crippled man. He'd been crippled since the day he was born. The Bible makes it clear that he never had walked. That same man, verse number 9, said that he heard Paul speak. 
And that's something that Paul had said, uh, something that Paul had preached. And we'll get into that in just a minute. But, uh, but, but it, 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 it done something to this man. It done something in the heart of this pagan Gentile who possibly had never heard of Jesus, who had never heard of the miracles, who had never heard of the works of God, probably didn't know about the church at Jerusalem. I'm not really even sure he knew what had took place 18 miles away at Iconium. Uh, but something Paul had said uh, stirred the heart of this man uh, to the point where Bible, the Bible said that Paul perceived something in this man uh, that, that, that caused him to know this man wanted a change in his life. So Paul said to him, he, he said with a loud voice, Stand upright onto your feet. And the Bible, I like it, it said he leaped up and began to walk. And I don't think that was kind of a gradual thing. You know how they do on the movies when Jesus will heal a cripple and that cripple will kind of stand up like a baby trying to take his first step? No, I believe that God, what he does is perfect and it is complete. And I, I believe it could be said here as it's said many other places that immediately he got up on his feet and began to leap and to walk. What a miracle that just took place. What a great miracle that had just took place. Uh, can you go with me in your mind's eye, your imagination this morning for just a moment. Go back with me to Iconium, uh, to these Gentiles, these pagans that had never heard the gospel, but now they're saved. They heard the gospel. They believe, and now they're saved. They've never seen uh, uh, anything like this. The Bible said in those verses that we read last week that God gave them uh, uh, power to work miracles and signs, and they're seeing something, man, they've never seen before. And one thing they have never seen before is a crippled man to get up and start walking. And now here Paul says, he just says to him, stand up. Doesn't slap him on the head. He doesn't blow on him. He doesn't ask for an offering. He doesn't set up a tent crusade or anything. He just says, stand up and walk. And the man leaps up to his feet and he goes to walking. Man, what a miracle. Now if it would be in our day, if it had been in our day, <laughs> Brother Richie, this man would have got him a tent set up fog, fog machines and lights and got a big band together and he would have invited everybody to tomorrow night's healing service amen and he'd meet people at the door with wheelchairs and said I got a good seat for you and wheel them down to the front amen and then they'd have slapped them on the head and, and uh, they would have faked a miracle and they'd have took thousands of dollars from them but Paul doesn't do that and you know the reason Paul doesn't do that and it is because of this is what I read Oliver B. Green said that God doesn't work miracles for the sake of working miracles that when God performs a miracle there is always a message to be learned a message to be seen and a message to be heard behind that miracle and so I, 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 I've titled the first point the miracle and its message I want you to see that in this miracle we find that there's faith here we need to see this morning that there is faith here. I'm telling you, God is not bound by whatever's binding you this morning. God is not locked up and panicking. He's not ready to hit the panic button in glory. He's not ready to give up. He's not even got his hand on the towel ready to throw it in. Friend, he is not bound by any of this. He's not pressured by any of this. God is still able to work and to do and to move in our day as he did in the Bible day. He is still the same God today that he's always been. He has not changed. Somebody give me a witness. Amen. He hasn't changed. He's still the same God. And the Bible tells us here how he worked in this man's life. 
one of the ways that he worked in this man's life, or the way that he worked in this man's life, and it's the message that we ought to see in this miracle, is the faith that this man had. Now that, that may not mean nothing to you, but if you understand the study that we're doing here, Paul is in a different area. He's not at Jerusalem. He, he's not any, even in a place where these people may be at least a little familiar with Jehovah God. There's some proselytes, I'm sure, uh, to the Jewish faith that, uh, uh, that are kind of hanging around. We see them kind of poke their head up, uh, but it seems as though they enter into the scene versus already having been there. And so these people probably don't know nothing about Jehovah. They don't know anything about Christ. They don't know anything about the covenants of Israel. They're not familiar with those religious things and the law and worship or anything like that. Yet the Bible said that when Paul preached, as he preached, he preached in such a way that that the Holy Ghost did a work in this pagan man's life and Paul the Bible said looking on him steadfastly beholding him steadfastly perceived that he had faith to be healed that blows my mind but it doesn't blow my mind anymore to think that a drunk could stumble in to a tent meeting or to a revival meeting or to some church service and hear the gospel maybe for the first time and his heart be pricked and his eyes get open to the gospel and the grace of God overflow his life and he runs to the altar and he gets saved and sobered up and changed that very day. I'm just trying to tell you, friend, that if that takes place, if that has taken place, it took place because there's faith here. There's faith here. It's important to understand that Paul is not in a synagogue. He's not in a church house, a house church. A matter of fact, he's not preached. There's no synagogues at all at Lystra. They are a completely pagan society. They, they show that later on in the text. We will probably not make it this morning. But verse number 12, where they call Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mercury. Or Mercury or Zeus or Hermes, if you think about it in the Greek words or Greek names, they, uh, they, they call them these, these gods. You know why? Uh, they, they, they looked at Jupiter, and probably as they turned around, they could see the massive statue of Jupiter uh, right outside of his temple. They were, in, they were engulfed and over, uh, overflowing with pagan worship. Uh, they didn't know the God of heaven. They didn't know the God of Israel. They didn't know the Jesus of the church. Uh, Paul's not preaching in a synagogue. Paul's preaching in the street. Paul's a street preacher. The word speak here, well, the Bible said the same heard Paul speak. It doesn't have the idea of mounting a pulpit uh, in front of a, a, a joined congregation and preaching. Paul just looks around. He sees a group of people gathered together, and so he heads that way and opens his mouth and starts a conversation and just begins what we would call witnessing for the Lord. Amen. In a strange place. A place that he don't know. He don't know those people. They don't know him. But he knows God. And I want to tell you something. He wanted them to know God. And he knew that if they were going to know God, they've got to have faith to believe in this God. And if they're going to have faith to believe in this God, there's got to be the preaching of the Word of God. So Paul preaches to everybody that would listen, anybody that could understand his language or dialect. He begins to preach and God gives the people. He's not at a meeting. He's not at a book service. He's just at an opportune time that the Holy Ghost has kicked the door open and said, open your mouth and preach. And Paul begins to preach. I'm trying to tell you this morning, go back to my thought I'm trying to give to us, is that God is not bound by what we're bound by. 
God is not over here uh, wringing his hands or twiddling his thumbs and saying, oh man, this thing's a mess. What am I going to do? Honey, he knew this thing was going to be a mess long before he ever created the first star, laid the foundation of the earth, uh, long before he'd done anything in this world. He already knew where we would be right now on this day. God already knew that. And so he ain't panicking. You know why you panic? You're in time. And you have no idea what's going to happen the next second. God's not in time. God's in eternity. He's already in the Revelation 22. He's already seen himself and his son coming back with us. I wish I had a witness. Amen. He's already seen what we can't see. Honey, he's going to see us in the valley. He already seen us on top of Mount Zion, praising God and shouting the glory. Hey, friend, uh, uh, listen, if you can get in on that and believe it by faith, you don't have to be bound by the pressures either. God's not bound. And he proves that by what he's about to do. He uh, went to this group of people. He begins to testify, begins to preach. I see as he's preaching, probably speaking, uh, no doubt speaking about Jesus, but probably telling them even more, probably telling them about the miracles. I would surmise or uh, 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 kind of uh, suppose that, uh, that he's talking about probably what just took place in Iconium. He said, man, you know, y'all ain't going to believe what happened over there, what God did through his son, Jesus Christ. And he's telling them about this power that comes from trusting Jesus and being saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he's preaching. And as he's preaching, there's a man who leans in and listens really close as Paul begins to tell about the miracles and tells about the healings and tells about how God has used that to open the ears and the hearts of people to receive the message of God. And as that man listens, something takes place on the inside. And what takes place on the inside of him, listen to me, is the same very thing that has to take place in the heart of every single sinner that will ever be saved. The Bible says it like this. Paul wrote it to us in Romans chapter 10, verse 14. He said, how can they call on him they've not believed? How can they believe on him they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And uh, the Bible said, how shall they preach without uh, being sent? Uh, And verse number 7 said that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You know what God did? God is there all under pressure and uh, they're facing the trials and the problems and going to face more uh, as the chapter unfolds. Uh, uh, God's not bound by that. You know what God's doing in the midst of that? He's creating faith. He's birthing faith in the heart of a sinner and he's saved. You know what God wants to do today? He wants to do it in your family. He wants to do it at your work. Uh, He wants to do it at your school. Uh, He wants to do it down at the Walmart. Uh, He wants to do it down at the Ross. Uh, He wants to do it at the Dollar General. Somebody say amen. Uh, He wants to do it at the bank uh, in the bank teller's heart. You know what he wants to do? He wants to use you to open your mouth for the glory of God uh, and preach the gospel uh, and produce faith uh, and birth that you can't do it uh, I can't do it but we can be obedient to God and we can open our mouth and preach the gospel and when we do that the Holy Ghost will do his job Amen he'll do his job Amen I've often heard preachers say if you'll handle God's business then he'll handle yours if you do what God told you to do, then God will take care of those things you don't think you can do. Preach, I don't know if I could ever do that. I don't know if I could ever get in front of somebody I don't know. Well, start with somebody you do know. I promise you what you'll find is oftentimes it's a lot easier to bring up Jesus to people you don't know 
than people you do know. Often, I mean, have you ever tried to witness at a family function? It's like throwing a basket of rattlesnakes out on the table. Amen. Everybody flee and run from you like, man, you got something going to hurt them. No, we got something going to help you. Amen. That's what God wants to do. I don't care how bound you may feel, Christian. I don't care what, listen, I, what you may think uh, you can't do during this time, preacher. They don't like it. Uh, uh, they're going to cancel us. They're going to cut us off. Uh, they're going to shut our doors. They're going to try to imprison us and do all of these things. Hey, friend, listen, let them lock us up. I serve a God that can break down prison doors. I serve a God that can break chains. Somebody help me this morning. I serve a God that is not bound by what you are panicked about. He is not under pressure like we are. So what's he doing? He's using that preacher to go and preach. And in doing so, that the Holy Ghost, the only way a man can be saved, the Holy Ghost speaks to the heart of that sinner. And the Bible said when Paul saw him, he looked on him and perceived that he had faith to be healed. i got to give you something else here this morning. That not only is there faith here, but I see there's familiarity here. Familiarity here. And if y'all know me, you know you ought to be proud that I said that word. God gave me that outline last night, and that word popped up, and I said, oh, Lord, help me. I got to say that word. But it, it fits in the text. There's something familiar about this text. There's something familiar about this text. You may be saying... Preacher, I, you know, I get all that about this man being healed and Paul preaching and all of this stuff, but where do, where do I really fit in this text? Well, the same place that uh, every lost sinner fits. Let me show you what I mean, and then I'll get to this point. This man is a cripple. Y'all with me? Yeah. Bible said he's been crippled since the day he was born, right. and he's never, here's the word it's used, walked never walked now that's important God don't just throw words around he don't stick words in there just for the sake of taking up space in the Bible there's a reason that word inspired walk is put there walk in the Bible in the New Testament and the Old Testament the word walk the idea of walk has the idea of the conduct of a person's life how they walk how they Live, And the Bible said that this man was crippled and could not walk. You know what this man's a picture of, don't you? The same thing that every cripple, every blind man, every leper, every uh, woman with issue of blood, every dead individual, every, every miracle that's talked about in the ministry of Christ and in the ministry of the church, uh, every one of those miracles pictures a, a, a person that is lost, a person that is lame, a person that is languishing, a person that is lacking, are you listening? A person that is lost without God. This is not the first time we've found a cripple in the book of Acts. You remember chapter number 3? Y'all remember chapter 3? Can y'all go back with me that far? In chapter number 3? Paul, uh, Peter and John are on their way to the temple and they're going at the hour of prayer uh, they're going to worship uh, at the hour of prayer in that evening time uh, uh, and as they're approaching the, uh, the temple gate uh, called Solomon's gate or the gate called beautiful uh, there's a man there and the Bible says about this man he's crippled, he's never walked he's been crippled since the day he was born 
Peter and John look upon the man and they say to him silver and gold have we none he's begging he's wanting money he's wanting a little change somebody give me a witness oh but the change he wanted ain't the change he needed amen God's going to make some change in his life but it ain't going to be nickels and dimes glory to God amen there's going to be a change take place Peter and John said we ain't got no money to give you uh, but we do have something that you need and his name is Jesus and in the name of Jesus Nazareth rise up and walk and that man leaped up to his feet and went running disturbed the worship service ain't that a sad case shouting and running and hollering and praising God messed up a worship service it will mess up a man's worship service I promise you that amen he went in there leaping and running and praising God and walking around and shouting and rejoicing and all and God healed that crippled man who had been crippled since the day of his birth now that man if you allow it this morning I, I want to just kind of try to teach, teach you a little bit we don't have Sunday school right now so I want to do a little Sunday school that man was a Jew are you listening? That man was a Jew. This man is a Gentile. Totally different spectrums of people. They're on totally different wavelengths. They, they, they not, they don't have the, uh, they're not similar in their family. They're not similar in their faith. They're not even similar in their geographical location. They're from totally different ends of of, the, uh, uh, of that known world they, they are from different families different faiths they are from different economic backgrounds they are from different positions they are different but yet they're similar you said preacher how are they similar the Bible says about both of them they are cripples can I say something to you today that you need to hear this morning that we find is so familiar in this text to us and that is that whether Jew or Gentile, Greek or barbarian, whether rich or poor, tall or short, fat, skinny, smart, dumb, white, black, yellow, brown, red, purple, pink, polka dot, it doesn't matter. Every one of us may be different. We may come from different places, have different names, have different families, have different uh, uh, genealogies. Our generations, our heritages may be different. We come from different homes, uh, uh, but there's something we all share in common, and it's what familiar to us in the text and that is whether we are Jew or Gentile or whether we are white or black or red or yellow we are all crippled we are all lame we are all lost we are all hopeless none of us can get to God none of us can find God none of us are seeking after God unless the God of heaven comes to us unless the God of heaven seeks us they say about Paul and Barnabas and I won't get to it this morning but they say the gods have come down I read that, and I thought, man, if they could have just capitalized that G and knocked that S off and said, God has come down. If you know what God did, God came down. Someone said, I found Jesus. And I don't know how you did. He wasn't lost. I've never seen sheep wandering out looking. He said, What's, what are you doing, little sheep? He said, I, I'm looking... I'm looking for my shepherd. <laughs> that was pretty good, wasn't it? <laughs> no. Sheep ain't never gone out to the edge of a cliff. Reached out its little uh, 
Was that a hoof? <laughs> and said, take, take my hoof, shepherd, I want to help you. I was going to shake your hand, but, you know, Corona and everything. <laughs> He'd never done that. You know why? Because shepherds aren't the ones lost sheep are. Someone said, I found God, and he wasn't lost. I'm going to tell you what happened. <laughs> Glory to God. Whoop, hallelujah. God came down through the person of his son, Jesus Christ. He shed his blood on Calvary, died on the cross, and shed his blood for you and for me. Paid the sin price that we owe. Paid the debt that we owe. Hallelujah. Showed us grace. Showed us mercy. Died on the cross. Was buried. Rose again the third day. The very thing that he sent Paul to preach. And the Bible said that this man had faith to be healed. And friend, listen, when it said healed, I know he was a cripple. I know he's about to jump up on his feet and walk like he never had before. But friend, can I tell you that he needed more healing than from a lame condition. He needed healing from a lost condition. And I'm glad there's a God today that is able to save you. He's able to save your husband. He's able to save your wife, save your children. Praise God. Miss Jiminelle, that thrilled my soul. I'm glad he's a God that'll keep his promise. And he's able to save to the uttermost, to them that'll believe on his name. I'm very familiar in this text. You know why it's so familiar? Not just because we've seen it in Acts 3. It's familiar to me because, hallelujah, October the 18th, 1991, in Pell City, Alabama, that Seddon community, across the street from Seddon Baptist Church, in a little red and white tent. Hey, man, they set it up for a two-week meeting. And on the second week, on a Thursday night, about 9.30, the God of heaven came down to me and touched my heart and gave me faith to believe and saved my soul. Hey, I ain't got over it, friend. Hallelujah. You said, preacher, we're under pressure. I know. You said, preacher, it's a... Kind of one of those times where we don't know what's going to happen. I know. But I want to tell you that God ain't give up during these times. The church may have give up. And by the way, let me, let, me, let me correct that. Not the church. The real church ain't give up. Amen. I know this world thinks that the church is outdated, outplayed its time, and out. You know, warm, they're welcome, you know, and they, they're just something that you can do without. And the sad thing is, a lot of church people, a lot of church people feel that way. Like church is something you can do without. But I want to tell you something the church, she ain't going down. <laughs> this ain't in my outline. I had no plans on preaching this. But like I said, these are fresh thoughts from last night, so it's just. Bound, God might just bound to give me anything while I'm while I'm here. Amen. A lot of liberty here this morning. Amen. The church ain't going down, honey. Old ship of Zion. She ain't she ain't sick. Amen. She's not about to sink. Amen. That ship he's talking about this morning, that's not a picture of the church. That's a picture of you and me. Honey, our bodies may fall apart before we get home, but the church ain't going down. Honey, we're going up. Matter of fact, we're going over. Praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, I ain't finished, but I'm done. Amen. Amen. It's familiarity here. Jesus, through his church, offered 
this gift to his people, the Jews. That's what's pictured there in Acts 3. When God did that in the life of that crippled man, he got up leaping and running. Praise God. They imprisoned. They imprisoned Paul, or rather Peter and John. They imprisoned them. They said, what power, what authority do you do these things? He said, we just want y'all to know. I'm going to serve notice on you. We're just, you know, going to tell you that it ain't by our power or our authority this thing happened. This man's standing here today saved and healed because of the name of Jesus. And he said, there is only one name given unto men whereby you must, listen to me, you must be saved. And that name is Jesus. God, in this time of pressure, in this time of panic, in this time of problems and even persecution, God is not without something to do. And God is not, I like this, without a people which he can do it through. My question is this morning, have you heard the message of God? I'm talking about this real miracle that took place. Oh, listen, I, I love those stories. The, oh, I mean, listen, the Old Testament, New Testament, the miracles that took place. I like that Old Testament story where they're carrying this dead soldier and they're running from, I think it was maybe the Assyrians, if I'm not mistaken, or or the Syrians, or which one of them. Y'all, y'all do your own Bible study. He, he, he was running, and they got this dead man, and they trying to run away, and you know he was dead weight. <laughs> so they tossed him into this hole, and they didn't realize that it was uh, the grave of Elisha, and that dead body touched the bones of Elisha. And the Bible said that as they're running, they turn around and all of a sudden their dead buddy's running behind them. <laughs> he touched the dead bones of Elisha and life sprung up in his heart and he, or in his life and he come back alive. I love that. I love that. I love that story where the axe handle or the axe head breaks off the handle and goes off into the Jordan River. Alas, Master, for it was barred. I love that story. The prophet said, go get me that stick over there. He takes that stick, that limb, and he throws it off into the water, and the axe hand swims. He doesn't say it floated. He says it swam. He's doing a backstroke. It's swimming. How the axe head swim without arms? I don't know. Maybe God let it grow arms. I'm not sure. But that's a miracle, man. I love that. Children of Israel up against an impossible, impassable barrier. Pharaoh's army behind them, the wilderness, the mountains to the side of them, and the Red Sea in front of them. Moses said, or God said to Moses, stand still, see the salvation of God. He stretched that rod over the sea. And all the night the wind blew. The Bible said all night long while they sleeping, God was working. In the night, in the darkness in that night, will you think, can God work in this mess? And the wind blew. <laughs> I love that. I woke up next day a dry path pathway. Someone said that, that at that particular time, well, you know that the water went but about ankle deep, and no no wonder they was able to pass through. Well, even a, if that was true, even a greater miracle took place because God destroyed and drowned a whole army of the Egyptians in an ankle deep water. 
that's pretty good. Now, I heard you can drown on a tablespoon of water, but that, I mean, listen, I'm talking about thousands of soldiers in ankle-deep water. Man, that's a great miracle. But I believe it was a sea. God opened it up. It was a dry path. I love those miracles. I love hearing Jesus say to that little girl, Talitha Kumi, rise, damsel. And she gets up. I love it. Lazarus, come forth. Awesome. Love it. Spit in the ground. Make some clay. Stick it in that man's eyes. Stick it in his eyes. Stick it in his eyes. He never saw it coming. I got to quit. Go wash. And he did. And the Bible said he came back seeing. They said, who did this? He said, I don't have a clue. All I did was hear him. He said he had the word. Amen. So how did he make it down there to that pool of Siloam? He's walking on the word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. He come back seeing. I love that. But friend, we can take all of those miracles, all of those miracles, and all, if all we do is master on the fact that God's able to supernaturally perform a miracle, we have missed the point altogether. All of this, even in Paul raising this man up from his crippled life, his crippled condition. All of this is a message to say this, that God has the power to take hopeless cases and apply His grace. Thank God I'm glad He loves the broken ones. This lady. I'm glad He does. Because I've been broken a time or two in my life. I'm reminded of that story. I gotta, I'm trying to quit. I really am. And I'm reminded of this story, 2 Samuel chapter number 9. It's my favorite story in the Bible. One of my favorite stories, other than the cross and the resurrection. But I, I, I'm reminded of this story. 2 Samuel chapter number 9. King David's on his throne. He said, Is there anybody that I can be kind to of the house of Saul? I want to show him the kindness of God. And they said, Well, there's Mephibosheth, but he's lame on both his feet. David said, Go get him. He's the son of jo Jonathan. I made a covenant with Jonathan. I'm going to keep that covenant. I'm going to keep that promise. He brings Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth no doubt thought he was going to die thought he was going to face the judgment because of who he was and who his family was and David says to him fear not Mephibosheth for I will surely show you the kindness of God for your father Jonathan's sake and you will eat always at my table and the chapter concludes with this that he was still lame on both his feet and I get that picture of that table sitting out David and all of his dignitaries sitting around and all of his descendants are there at the table. And all of a sudden, here comes somebody dragging that feet behind them with a crutch. And they say, who is that? And they said, I said, Mephibosheth. That's Saul's son. What's he doing here? What's he doing here? And old David stands up and he said, y'all hush your mouth now. That's my boy. That's my son. And Brother Kenneth, when they sit him down in that chair and pull him up under that table, see that tablecloth wrap over them crippled legs. And he looked like just, he looked like the rest of them. If you didn't know no better, you wouldn't even know he was a cripple. Why? What made the difference? He got invited to the king's table. Friend, I want to tell you, crippled lives have been invited to the king's table. And if you'll trust him, take him by faith, believe him, save you. That's what he wants to do for you. That's what he wants to do for your family. That's what he wants to do in these days we're living in. You stand to your feet.
during this time we're not necessarily opening the altar if you want to pray off by yourself or you with someone maybe possible that you live with and you want to pray that's fine you, you kneel right where you are and pray but just bow your head close your eyes right there where you're at this morning I believe if you need to be saved you can be saved right there from the pew you're standing at you can be saved right there where you are Say, preacher, I've never trusted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I, I, I'm, I'm like that crippled man. I'm crippled spiritually. And you are. You know what the thing about Mephibosheth was in 2 Samuel? In chapter number 4, it tells us how he became crippled. Grayson had said he was crippled because of a fall. And it wasn't a fall that he had done himself. It was the fall of another. Someone else fell. And it caused him to be crippled. That's what happened to you and me, friend. Adam and Eve fell in the garden. And crippled us. We're crippled because of that fall. And we're hopeless because of that fall. Thank God. We're going to study it next week. But that multitude, they got it wrong. They made a mistake. The gods hadn't come down. But God had. God had. Had birthed faith in the heart of a sinner. Changed his life. That's what he wants to do for you. Don't get so focused and caught up in that miracle a lot of people even in our day today they're caught up in miracles extravagance man I tell you what if you talk to some people about their salvation experience and you think man if I if I didn't feel chill bumps or hear birds chirping sweeter or see a rainbow in the sky maybe I didn't do it right well honey I want to tell you something salvation has nothing to do with your feelings it doesn't have nothing to do with you I know that there's that load of sin and there is that feeling of of oppression of sin and and then when you get saved, it does feel like that weight has been lifted. But, but man, it does. It, it, I'm not basing my salvation upon that feeling. I'm basing my salvation upon this fact, and that is that Jesus came to save sinners. Paul said, "Of who I am chief." For if he ain't saved the chief, he can save all the Indians. He ain't got no problem saving you this morning. Said, preacher, I'm not saved. If I died, I died law, I'd die lost today if I died right now. And I'd meet Jesus undone without God or his son. I want to be saved. If that's you this morning, you say, Lord Jesus, come to my heart. I'm a sinner. Save me. Cleanse me. Lord, you, you, you've, you've, you've birthed faith in me today. I've heard the gospel today. I heard what your son did for me today. And Lord, I want that familiar story to be familiar in my life now Lord I want you to do for me what you did for them what you did for the preacher I want you to do it for me in my life save me come into my heart change me make me a new creature he'll do it he'll do it you say preacher I'm saved but I'm not living for the Lord I've not been witnessing for him like I should I've not been doing the things I should I've, I've, I have forgotten what I've been shown even today and reminded of and that is that people are watching me and uh, I need to I need to clean some things up I need to clean up my act my daddy used to say boy you need an attitude adjustment and there's a lot of Christians I see y'all I'm, I'm friends with you on Facebook amen sometimes I wonder why I'm on there I guess it's just to be a stalker for everybody and just look on their posts see all the ones I, I can't wait for November for everybody to be thankful again I wonder what they're going to say in November this year brother 2020 
Wonder, wonder how that's going to roll out this year. Wonder what all them posts are going to say. Day one. Thankful. Huh? We got that thing mixed up. We take one day out of the year to say thank you. Spend 365, uh, 364 days of the rest of the year complaining and grumbling. God help us. My dad would say, boy, you need an attitude adjustment. Maybe that's what God's trying to do. Amen. Put enough pressure on you that you bow. Amen. Bow not to the world, but bow to Him. Broken vessels can be put back together. Broken, broken cisterns leak water. Amen. God can use your brokenness to be a blessing to somebody else. If you'll come to Him. Father, in Jesus' name, I come to you this morning. You know every heart, every life. Lord, you knew the message before I even studied it. Lord, before I even started on the venture this week and to, on Tuesday afternoon, began to look at the Word of God and began to seek and pray. and Lord, ask you what you'd have for your people. You knew, Lord, before the time began, God, that we would be here. Lord, you knew we'd be where we are, going through what we're going through. Lord, you knew it all. Lord, you orchestrated this service. You, you masterfully put this sermon together, God, in the eternals, uh, the antiquities of eternity. Lord, you, you already had this message laid out. Lord, I am not preaching it because I'm good at doing what I do, because I'm not. And I'm not preaching this because I'm smart, because I'm not. Lord, but you... All glory goes to you. You knew where we'd be and what we'd need. You knew we'd need to be reminded today that there's a work for us to do even in these days of pressure. You're not panicked. And you're not quitting. Lord, if you're on your throne and everything's all right in heaven, then we ought to be able to say with the Shulamite woman, it is well, it is well with my soul. God, I pray you'd help us now. Touch your people. Save that one that's near as hell. That one that's lost this morning. Redeem them. That one that's backslidden on you. Reclaim them. Bring them back to yourself and to your son. Lord, we'll praise you and thank you for it all in Christ's name. Amen. No service tonight. We'll be back next Sunday at 1045. Amen. Now listen, normally we'd say shake hands with one another and, and be friendly. Uh, I'm not going to say that. Now if you don't have a problem shaking hands, uh, then, you know, okay. I'm not gonna, I'm, we're not going to come and kick you or anything like that, okay? But, uh, but be respectful, please. Would you do that? There are some here uh, that we dis, we, we've been dismissing early, and we're going to go ahead and do that again today. Before anybody else moves, we're going to let uh, our... our Sisters, uh, go ahead and be dismissed. And uh, amen. Love you. God bless you. See you next week, Lord willing. Amen. All right, the rest of you, as you go out, the offer plate's in the back. Amen. Make sure you pass by that and put something in there uh, as God has led you to do so. All right. Amen. This time to go. If you want to go without somebody coming and getting up in your grill. Amen. Love you. God bless you. Appreciate you. We'll see you next week.